Please take out your Bible this morning and turn to uh, the book of First Peter. We're in chapter 4 this morning. About, uh, I don't know, four or five months ago, I switched gyms. I was going to a place nearby that I won't mention. Uh, and I switched to InShape over there by, it's cause it's closer to the pizza place over there. Uh, and, uh, it is, and it's been great. I've been, uh, enjoying it, been going great until like about two weeks ago, it, it got a lot harder to, to work out there. And I bet you'll never guess what happened two weeks ago that made my gym experience less fun. New Year's resolutions happened two weeks ago. Uh, so I was there on Monday w- uh, with Camille. I went after she got off of work, and it was just flooded with people everywhere. It wasn't like that b- back in December that I remember. Uh, yeah, so uh, I, it's not as bad in the mornings when I normally go. Uh, it's, it's great now that my daughter drives. Oh, it's so wonderful. So in the mornings, I used to have to drive kids. I mean, I used to get to drive kids to school. Uh, and But now she takes them all to school and I leave earlier and go to the gym and work out for an hour and then go to work. It's wonderful. It's a, it's a lovely system. So the mornings aren't super bad, but they're still pretty busy. Uh, but I read something last week that gives me hope and encouragement. I read that the average New Year's resolution only lasts until, anybody guess what date? Like you think like, oh what, March maybe? February? No, January 12th <laughs> is the, like that's how long the average, and today is January 12th, that way, which is great. So you guys can quit today <laughs> and you'll be normal. So that's encouraging. Uh, my hope is that when I go back to the gym on Monday, it won't be quite as bad. Uh, my, my own personal like New Year's resolution uh, for this year was uh, to, to actually take a day off because uh, Fridays are supposed to be my day off, but uh, like the kids are in school and Camille's at work. What am, what am I supposed to do? Just like stay home and do housework? I don't want to do that. Uh, like, so I, I like to come into my office and it's, it's nice and quiet because Tori's not here. No, I think she heard me say that. Uh, and I can like read and I can work on other things and ride. And I have kind of an awesome job. I don't know. I don't want to brag, but my job is wonderful. And so I like working and I don't feel like it's work to work. Uh, and so I, I tend to like to come in on Fridays and do different things. But I do have like a house that I should probably do some things. My wife's got a list of projects that I should probably get to. And I do have like a mom and a mother-in-law that have houses that I could probably do more to help them with. And so I need to try and take more time off. D- don't ask me where I was this last Friday. <laughs> I didn't even make it to the 12th. Uh, I was here working. But I can explain my my daughter had a tournament, and so I had to take other time off, and so I was making it up on Friday. But I promise, I'll take. That's probably not true. I should probably just. I should probably just make a New Year's resolution to like stop eating sugar or cut carbs. That would probably be easier for me than taking a day off. Uh, I I don't know why uh, we uh, end our New Year's resolutions so quickly. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what it is about. New Year's resolutions that, that only makes them last for a couple of weeks. Pro- probably it's because changing the way that we live really is genuinely difficult. 
Uh, it, because unhealthy uh, patterns and habits are so easy to fall into and establishing new healthy patterns takes a lot of time and a, and a lot of effort and a lot of discipline. It's hard because sugar tastes so good. Bread is wonderful. Uh, but, but part of it's because we lose sight of our long-term goals when faced with these momentary temptations. And it's easy to slide back into doing things that we used to do. First Peter here, it's, uh, Peter is writing to Christians just to remind them of who they are and who they belong to and where they're headed. It's, it's to remind them that they're different now. That the way they live should be different now. In light of who we are, the fact that we are connected with Christ, we belong to God, we're His children, and we have this hope of heaven ahead of us. In light of all of that, how we live every single moment of our lives should be different. And and here in this book, we see that same theme over and over again. Here in chapter 4, he's really going to spend a, a lot more time with the what exactly does that look like? What does that mean? How do we live for Christ in, in practical, everyday ways? And a lot of it here is, again, remembering that we are connected with Christ. He spent a lot of time talking about that in chapter 3. And part of it's not going back. Don't, don't go backwards. Look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1-6. through six. Follow along with me. It says, Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lusts and drunkenness and carousing, drinking parties and uh, abominable idolatries. And all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation and they malign you. But, but they will give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the Gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead. That though they are judged in the flesh as men, they will live in the Spirit according to the will of God. And this really here is a continuation of chapter 3. And Peter points back to what he's just said about the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus. Remember, we talked about that last week. Jesus knew that His upcoming suffering had a purpose. Understood clearly what God's purpose was in it. To, to reconcile us to God. And, and He knew it was going to be real. It was going to be painful. It was going to be difficult. But he also knew that it was going to be worthwhile. That in the end, it was going to accomplish this perfect plan that God had. Christ lived with this sacrificial purpose in mind. He knew why He came. His desire was to fulfill the will of God. And He willingly sacrificed out of this heart of love and obedience. He suffered unfairly, right? He suffered as an innocent man but willingly sacrificed for us. 
Like if Peter's writing to people who are suffering a little bit, and he knows that they're going to face even more suffering to come in their lives. They need to know that their suffering doesn't mean that they are somehow disconnected from Christ now or that they're doing it wrong or that their Christianity has failed or that there's some uh, uh, mistake with God. No, just the opposite. Suffering means that they are, in fact, identified with Jesus Christ who also suffered. And and their suffering, our suffering, has a purpose just like Jesus' did. There's this this Christ-like mindset that Peter is encouraging us to have. One that embraces hardship for the sake of uh, of godliness rather than comfort. One that's willing to make a sacrifice just like Jesus did. One that's, that's intentional about being okay with facing sacrifice for a purpose that we know is God-honoring. When, when I'm reading this first, it makes me think of, of uh, Philippians chapter 2, where Paul says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It's that kind of of Christ-like sacrifice and humility and selflessness, that mindset that Peter is also encouraging us to have. One that's, again, sacrificial, not selfish. One that, that's willing to overlook wrongs. Not, not this attitude that's always indignant and angry. An attitude that's focused on uh, serving others. Not this uh, air about you that's entitled and thinking that we always deserve something. Living for Christ starts with thinking Loving and serving like Christ. So seeing how Jesus lived, how He suffered, and and how uh, He acted through that is to be an example of how we're supposed to live with the same kind of sacrificial obedience. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. Interesting. This is an interesting passage. So the little phrase in there, he says, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Does that mean that if we've undergone some sort of suffering for the cause of Christ, if we've suffered for our faith, that we achieve sinless perfection in this life. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think that ever happens. I don't think we ever get to the point of sinless perfection in this life, but there is this process of growth and maturity and sanctification that suffering is a part of that changes the way we think about, view, value sin. 
This, uh, one theologian, uh, Dan Doriani, says this, when we stay with Jesus at the cost of physical or material suffering, we follow Him. The very willingness to suffer shows that we have made a break with sin in its essential selfishness. We see that there is more to us than rhetoric. That we do put the Lord ahead of self. And what he's saying here is when we're willing to suffer and still we do the right thing and we obey God and we follow His will and we care about what He wants us to do, it shows that we are more concerned with God's will than our own comfort or our own way. I think I feel like sometimes when we think about suffering, when we read passages like this one in 1 Peter, we got this mental picture of someone who's like being stoned for talking about Jesus, or or someone uh, who you know is like in a foreign country that's that's not allowed to practice their faith and gets arrested, or maybe this only applies uh, to people in other countries or during Jesus's day or missionaries or something. But there's this very real daily almost average kind of suffering that, that we'll face. There's times when we're faced with situations in our life that are tough and uncomfortable and painful and messy. And, and it'll require us to make a choice. What, what are we going to do? Are we going to do the thing that God says that we should do and follow His Word and His will? Or are we going to do the thing that seems like it would bring about the, the quickest comfort and resolution, even though we know that that might not be what God wants us to do? I don't, I don't know how many times as a pastor I've sat with people who are truly, genuinely hurting and in pain, confused, as they, as they justified their decision that they, that they knew, they, that they knew was wrong and not what God's word said. They knew it wasn't, but they justified that decision because they just wanted to be happy. They just wanted the, the discomfort and the pain to stop. They just wanted their struggle to be over. All they wanted was for things to get better. And my heart truly aches as, as I watch people in the midst of painful and ugly and heavy things. And, and I want nothing more for them than for that suffering and that pain to end. But as someone who, who truly believes that the Word of God is true and, and who truly trusts in the sovereignty of God, the most important thing that I can do in those situations is help people, urge people to stay within the will of God. I mean, we looked at a bunch of verses last week that talked about how through our suffering, God produces in us endurance and perseverance. That through suffering, we are perfected. 
And, and, if, and if those passages are true, then the, the absolute worst thing that we can do is fall prey to this temptation to find the quick and easy way out. What Peter's saying here is that the person who suffers because they care more about doing things God's way and they're going to trust Him through that suffering, that they care more about the God's will than uh, easing their immediate pain, that person is not going to fall to selfish sin. The person who can, who can quote Scripture to Satan when he comes to tempt us to do what is wrong, that person is not, not going to be interested in whatever temptation brings their way. The person who has made up their mind ahead of time uh, who they are and who they serve, now that person is, has ceased from living this lifestyle of sin. Like it says here, that, that person will live the rest of their life no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. That, that's Peter's desire for our lives. And Peter's saying that as somebody who we already know has, has done things, lived his life in a way that was sometimes more spurred on by like protecting his own rear end, right? Like he's made this mistake himself so we can trust what he's saying. Living for Christ means that we suffer well and we trust God and we cling to Him through it. It means that the old way of living and responding and dealing with things is over. And, and Peter reminds them of that old way. He reminds them of those old things. I, I think in an effort to remind them again of who they are now in order to show just how different they are now. He points to those things that showed how we used to live in this rebellious way. Verse 3, For the time already is past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality and lusts and drunkenness and carousing and drinking parties and abominable idolatries. In all this, they are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excess of dissipation, and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Now here I think he's addressing an actual problem. Christians felt bad because other people were bad-mouthing them and mocking them and making fun of them. But what he's saying is, listen, your rebellious, idolatrous days are over. That's just not, that's not who you are anymore. But here's the, the thing I think that helps give us some clarification when we think about uh, what, what he's talking about to suffer Christ. What, what does it mean to suffer for Christ? But part of that means that people who still live in that old way are going to hate you. They're going to say bad things to you and about you. They expect that you're just going to follow them into the same excessive dissipation. And, and bad-mouth you because you don't. 
The word for excess here literally means flood. And I think some translations actually use the word flood, flood of dissipation, which I think is a way better translation. Because if you remember just a couple of verses back in chapter 3, he just got done talking about how Jesus as victorious over sin went and proclaimed his victory to these spirits who were uh, imprisoned, that were there during the time of Noah and the flood. And so I think the language here kind of harkens back to that discussion of the flood that he, that he just had. Here are these people that are being carried away by this flood of worthlessness. And they're surprised that you don't want to join them in being washed away by those things. That's a, a vivid word picture here of the what's happening to people who live their lives for those meaningless things. They start out surprised. They're surprised that you don't join them. Really? You don't want to do the same? We used to do those kinds of things all the time. What do you mean you don't want to hang out anymore? But then they get angry, right? They start surprised, but then they get mad at you. It says they malign you. And, and in Greek, that word is blasphemeo. They blaspheme you. They speak evil of you. They slander you. They accuse you of being the evil one because you don't want to do all these things that they're doing. What do you mean you don't want to join us anymore? What are you, a prude now? How, how dare you suggest that what we're doing is wrong. It's not wrong. You're wrong. You're wrong for judging. How dare you not affirm me and approve of me and join me in everything that I do? It's almost like there's this sense of guilt and shame that flares up in the hearts of sinful people, especially when they meet someone who doesn't want to join them. Even if we don't say a word. I think, I think sometimes the very existence of someone who holds to some moral standards offends people. But, but Peter reminds us, listen, we don't have to live like that anymore. We don't have to live for our own desires anymore. We, we live for the will of God now. And we care more about what God says than what others think, what others say, what, what, what they call us. And Peter's saying, listen, don't forget who you are and don't be surprised when they get mad at you for it. So again, he's reminding us of who we are and who we belong to. That's, that's not who you are. Now you're in Christ. And he reminds us of where we're headed. Right? Why do we, why do we live differently from uh, sinful people and our sinful past? It's because we're going to live differently forever. We get to live differently for all eternity. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the gospel has, for this purpose, been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. Again, it doesn't matter what the judgment of others is. 
here in this life. What matters is the will of God. And ultimately, His judgment is the one we should care most about. God's will, God's desire is that we would live eternally with Him. And God will rightly judge people. Everyone. All of us. We Don't worry about what they, what they do or what they say. Instead, just preach the Gospel. Just tell them about Jesus. Just point them to Him. Preach to everyone. Everywhere. There's a God who saves and there's a God who loves and there's a God who forgives. And that's, that's the purpose of our existence. There's more to why we live. There's more to why we exist. It goes beyond just sex and partying and happiness and drinking. And there's, there's this holiness and this righteousness. There's this perfect God who is, who's going to call us into account. There's this God who has an eternity waiting for us. So don't, don't be intimidated. Don't be tempted. Don't be surprised by people who are still living in darkness. That's, that's all they know. Don't treat them with anger or scorn or judgment. Instead, preach the Gospel. Show them Jesus. Proclaim Christ. I think the last part of verse 6 here is in, intended to encourage us. Stay faithful and strong. It'll be worth it. You will live according to the Spirit, according to the will of God. Don't, don't abandon your resolve to honor God like it's just another New Year's resolution, like you're cutting carbs or you're going to the gym. No. Stay faithful to live for Him every day of your life. Let's pray. God, I do thank You for Your Word and for the encouragement contained within. God, sometimes it's hard in this world to be different, to stand out, and to be salt and light. But God, that's what You've called us to. Help us to not forget who we are. That we are different than we used to be. Help us not be frustrated or discouraged when people are upset at us because of that. Lord, help our desires to not be about pursuing our own selfish lust, but Your will, God. Help us to, to do the things that, that we know You want us to do. Help us to live a life that is Christ-honoring. Thank You, God, that we can. Thank You that we're free from sin. Thank You that this salvation that You give us through Jesus isn't just this uh, someday fire insurance when we get to heaven kind of thing, but it's an everyday we can live differently because of who we are in Jesus Christ. We praise You for that, God. Thank You. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs>